We're in Philippians, and if you've got your Bibles with you, you might want to turn there. This guy, um, uh, Paul, is writing a letter to the church in Philippi, this little community that he's set up and seen grow and flourish in all sorts of ways, and he writes them uh, this letter. And what we're doing, um, Johnny introduced it a couple of weeks ago, we're starting this new series on the book of Philippians. So it's good to see you this morning. It's good to be talking about Philippians and see what Paul has to say then and uh, what God has to say for us um, to us through this book uh, this morning. And um, can I get to the next slide? Great, thanks. Uh, this is um, the section that we read. So we read 1 to uh, 11, I think it was. Uh, we've read that before, and it's just a way of getting it back in our minds. But I want to focus on this section this morning. Paul is sat in prison, um, probably in Rome, potentially in Ephesus, and he's writing this letter to this church. And this is how he, get, he says hello. And then he gets into the heart of the letter. And this is what he says. I thank my God every time I remember you, he says. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. Confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So I always pray with joy. And what Johnny said to us a couple of weeks ago, he said, is that Philippians is a letter of joy. A letter of joy. And uh, not the sort, we talked about this, not the sort of joy which is just happiness, though it does include that. This is a deep joy. The sort of joy that's able to exist within and through pain. That's fully aware of the brokenness of the world and lives in the brokenness of the world, but somehow manages to do it with joy and with hope. And uh, Paul is writing this letter, as I said, in prison, and he talks about his chains. I am in chains, he says, and still he writes. Every time I pray for you, every time he prays for this community, this fledgling community in, in Philippi, I pray with joy, joy. And so what Johnny said to us was that this letter is a way of helping us understand what joy looks like and how we get to joy, what joy looks like and how we get to joy. And um, if I go back to that first slide, what Johnny said was, we see in these first couple of verses, three things that we need to be aware of. Can I go back to the, the first one, Jay? That's great. Uh, slaves, saints, and sons. Johnny talked about branding, and he said, you know, we, we all have a brand, an identity, and key to us experiencing joy, this is what Paul is saying, key to us experiencing joy is us somehow embracing these three core truths about ourselves. Slaves, uh, saints, slaves, saints, and sons. And uh, I don't know if Johnny meant to do this, but it was profound, and we decided that we would call the series Philippians, Slaves, Saints, and Sons. If you want to know what joy is, um, it's got something to do with our identity becoming about becoming slaves, saints, and sons. So that's where we're going. I'm going to focus on um, those few verses that I shared. If you could flick forward, Jay, that would be really, really helpful. Uh, yeah, this is what I want to talk about this morning. Paul says this, I'm confident of this, he says, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So he's talking to this community, he who began, God who began a work in you, who did, started something in you, I'm confident, I'm excited. Part of the reason I have joy when I think of you and pray for you is because I'm confident that he who began something in you will finish it. That God who started something We'll see it to completion. I remember doing um, 
one of those personality test things that you have to do um, when you're training to become a vicar. And um, one of them was called uh, Gilmore Fraley. And I don't remember all of the sort of names in that thing. Anybody done this thing? Gilmore Fraley? You know, they, they, basically they take you a person, they put you in a box, and they say, this is who you are. And, um, but one, I don't remember all of the labels, but I do remember one of them was like the idea was you're a starter or an ideas person, which was what I was. Um, and then other people are perfecter finishers. So I sort of like come up with the ideas and then someone else... Craig uh, completes them and uh, God is uh, ideas dreams and he's a perfecter finisher God uh, doesn't come up with something that he's not going to see through he who began a good work in you will finish it on the day the completion until the day of Jesus Christ now Paul was a Jew And so he was very, very familiar with the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament. He studied the Old Testament, the first part of our Bible. And um, when he writes this, what I want you to see is that there's a couple of words in here that for Paul would have been incredibly significant. Um, And for some of his first readers would have been incredibly significant. So if you've got your Bibles, if you could flip to the start of the Bible, to the first Genesis chapter 1. We're going to go there. Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> if you go back, Jay, that would be great. That would be fantastic. So there's a couple of words here that ring true. So Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning. Settle down, folks. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And then this sort of rhythm this, in this poem, this creation poem, is repeated again and again and again. Um, the second day, the third day, and each day he says, it was good, it was good. He began something, and it was good. And so when Paul writes this, his first readers would have been like, hang on, begin? Begin? A day? First day? He who began a good work and will carry on to completion. So chapter 2 in Genesis, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. In all their vast array. Completed. And so we've got a day, we've got a work, and we've got completion. And it would have been like, if Paul was writing this, and his readers were reading this, we'd be like, oh, hang on, a day? Completion? Uh, a good work? This is, this is Genesis, right? This is the God of Genesis chapter 1. It would have been like, this is, he's talking about that. You know, if I stood up here and I said, um, you know, what our calling is as church, we want to make Trinity great again, right? Some of you would be like, I've heard that before. <laughs> I know where that phrase is from. That's from that man in America. <laughs> Will not meant no. Um, so some of you would have been like, yeah, that's where that's from. If you heard these words when Paul was writing these words, hang on, day completion began. This is about Genesis. And what do we see in Genesis is this story of the God who created a world, created a good world. And then the story of the scriptures is the story of God putting this world to rights after it's gone bad. And his first readers, Paul, Paul's readers would have been like, That's what he's pointing at. 
That's what he's pointing at. He wants us to see that our faith journey, us being here in church, us taking a step of faith, being followers of Jesus, whatever that looks like for you, following Jesus, is not just about a religious experience. It's not just about um, you having a nice experience or you being made whole just simply for yourself, though it includes all of that. What this is about is something cosmic, something vast, something huge. What Paul is saying is what I see in you, Philippians, what I see in the church is something that is far bigger than you could ever imagine. Can I go to the next slide, Jay? And so what I want you to see is this, and uh, I don't often do this, but um, I've basically written the sermon that I've got uh, on one slide. Okay, so this is, this is the sermon. Uh, everything else I, I say is sort of fluff around this. All right. So this is, what I, this is what I want us to see. The good work God wants to do in each of us. In each of us, he wants to do a good work. And as a church, is no less dramatic than the creation of the world. When we say we, follow, we will follow Jesus, what we are signing up to is God's plan to recreate us. Just as he created the world, he longs to recreate us. To make us totally free. This will look different for every single person, but it will take the form of us becoming more like the true human, Jesus. If you had to describe Jesus' life, you'd say this. It was marked by total self-denial. He lived for God and for others. God's work then is to make us, individually and as a people, more dependent on him. Johnny talked about this, slaves, more dependent on him. More aware of our beauty, saints, and more secure in his love, sons. This is God's work and God's alone. We can't make ourselves free. Our job is to open ourselves up to his work in us. Am I preaching? Okay. God's work is to make us individually and as a people more dependent on him, slaves. And Johnny talked about the, the, some of the problematic term, the use of that language. But slaves is, uh, I'd encourage you to go to, uh, to talk to Johnny about what that term might mean. But it's a term that opens us up to this idea that we are, like Jesus, fully dependent on God create, as we were created to be. In him we find life. He's our creator and therefore only in him will we find life. More aware of our beauty, saints, Paul says to God's holy people, in Philippi, you are saints and more secure in his love, sons and daughters. This is God's work and God's alone. We can't make ourselves free. Our job is to open ourselves up to his work in us. So what I want to say this morning is that God has a work to do. He started something and he will finish it. He has started something in us individually, us corporately as a body, and he will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus, that day when he will return and recreate the world, put all things to right. Amen? So like I say, everything I've got to say really this morning is just kind of fluff around that. Can I go to the next slide? Okay, first thing to say. Paul sees this in the Philippians. So if you turn back to Philippians, if you're still on Genesis, well done. Turn back to Philippians, you're still with me. And uh, he says this, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. What he has seen, he's seen something in the Philippians that causes him to say, God started something in you. What is this good work that he's seen? What has he seen 
in them. He's seen something. Well, Johnny read these passages to us a couple of weeks ago, but in Acts chapter 16, it should be 16, not 1. In Acts chapter 16, we read this story. And what happened was Paul turns up in Philippi in this city, and he does this everywhere he goes. He turns up with a gospel to proclaim, good news, Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is the world's true Lord. He's going to put the world to rights. Therefore, repent and believe in him. And he turns up and he says this again and again and again. And normally what he does is he goes to a synagogue and he, he, he speaks there. But this time he goes to this place in Philippi and he goes down near the river and it says he went there to pray, to find some peace and quiet, just a little rest, maybe sort of on a retreat in between journeys, right? And what he finds is this woman, Lydia, who is a seller, as Johnny likes to say, in dealer in purple cloth, right? Nice little details, dealer in purple cloth. And she is this successful businesswoman. And what happens is she gets it. She receives this good news. She gets it and she's like, yes, I'm in. And more than I'm just in, my whole household is in. My business is in. My relatives are in. The people who I'm looking after are in. All those people I'm responsible for. All the people on the payroll, they're all in. We are in. And then there's this thing that kicks off and Paul and uh, they end up in prison. And uh, the jailer, the person who owns the jail, ends up becoming a Christian as well. He says, yes, I'm in as well. And my whole household, we're in. And Paul is like surprised at what's going on because this isn't the normal pattern of things on his missionary journeys. What he sees in the Philippians, what he's aware of, what his experience has been is they got it. Like they were in. I showed up with this message, this good news, and they jumped for it. By the way, it's just a small detail, but the church in Philippi begun with a very, very capable, very successful, confident woman. Amen? The church in Philippi was started with a very confident, very capable woman who stepped up and said, yes, I am in. And the reason we have this letter is because of this woman, this businesswoman, Lydia. Anyways, Paul says, they are in. And then, a few years later, Paul ends up in prison. Right? He ends up in this prison. And like I say, we don't know whether it's Rome or Ephesus. People argue. For the, for the sake of today, and you'll see why in a minute, I'm going to say it's probably Ephesus, but some people think Rome. But what happens is he ends up in prison. Now, if you are in prison in the first century, and um, you've been taken prisoner by the Romans... What you would have been is under house arrest. This is how Paul found himself. So very different from the sort of institutionalized imprisonment that we have in our society today. What Paul was, was under house arrest. Now, if you're under house arrest, you are dependent, you don't get any food. You don't sort of get porridge, right? You don't get anything. You're dependent on other people for food and goods and money and the ability to live. You're completely dependent. Paul had nothing. So he's in prison. And he's praying, presumably, for help. And what happens is, one day, this guy, Epaphroditus, shows up from Philippi. And so this community that Paul had started a few years previously, where this lady Lydia had said, yes, I'm in, and then formed this community. A couple of years later, when Paul is across many, many miles away, many, many miles away, we think that Ephesus was probably about a one-week journey. Right, a one-week journey on foot away from Philippi. And so they, this guy, Epaphroditus, is sent with this money from Philippi to come and find Paul in this prison in Ephesus. If, it was, if he was in prison in Rome, it would have taken six weeks by foot and by boat. Right? And even, you know, a week, six weeks, very, very dangerous journey. This wasn't like, you know, he didn't sort of buy a ticket. He didn't like get, you know, 
first dibs on train line or whatever. This was very, very risky journey. And Epaphroditus comes all the way from Philippi to Paul. And Paul says, yes, you got it. You are with me in the gospel. This truth that I'm proclaiming that I think is important, that I've seen, I've seen Jesus, I know him, and I think it's important, you think it's important too. You think it's so important that you would send this guy, Epaphroditus, who got sick on the way to come all this way, hundreds and hundreds of miles, to give me this money. They get it. What Paul is saying is the good work that God wants to do, he sees it in them. He's like, yes, this is true of them. I can say of the Philippians church that God has started a good thing in them. They get it. They're understanding what it is to be free. They're understanding that God longs to do this work in us to free us. They get it. Enough that they can be free to send one of their best people, to send money, financial goods, food, to bless me. They would give themselves for me. And as Paul goes through this letter, he gets this point in chapter two, and this is going to be the basis of our Christmas services. Paul says, you know what you've done is just like what Jesus did. Just as you gave up everything you had out of your freedom, so Jesus, who was fully free, was free enough to give himself for us, who, though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held onto, but made himself nothing, gave it all up, traveled the many, many miles to us, in prison, in chains, in need, and helped us. That's the Jesus that we worship. And you, Philippians, you get it. I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He started something and he will finish it. Now then, I've got three things to say about this. Can we go to the next slide? The first one is this. I want to talk about you and y'all. All right. Now, uh, Paul talks about he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. What's important is that we see in these New Testament letters, um, whenever you is used, more than often, in fact, most of the time, you is plural, right? You. Now, when I was in America, I'd never heard this in England, but in America, they have this thing they say, y'all, right? Y'all. And uh, there were, I was like having coffee with one other person. And uh, this girl came up to us, this table, and was like, how y'all doing? And I was like looking around, like, who are you talking to? It's just two of us here, right? But y'all is this plural thing. We don't have that for good reason. We don't have it. And um, uh, we just say, <laughs> we just say you, all right? And, uh, but in the New Testament, you is plural. So what I want us to see is that what Paul is talking about when he says that he began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. This is both individual and communal. Right? It's both about us as individuals and what God is doing in us as individuals. And it's about us as a church, as Christ's body. And uh, we haven't got time today to go into what that means, how that tension is held. But essentially what Paul is saying is the church is made up of the individuals and the individuals make up the church. We can't have a church, we can't have a body that hasn't got individuals in it who are growing, who are being healed, who are being set free. 
But likewise, we can't have individuals without the bodies. We've got two extremes. On the one hand, we've got pure individualism, where each of you sat here today are just coming here. You're not going to talk to anybody. You're kind of going to do your thing with God and then go home. And on the other hand, we've got kind of like, I don't know, like a kind of communal thing where none of us are really interested in ourselves. Every single one of us is sort of just existing as part of this whole amorphous thing. And in the middle, what we have is this concept of the body of Christ. One body made up of many members. Here's what I want to say. God is doing a work in you, in each of you individually, so that we as a body might be shaped and grow. God is doing a work in each of you, in each of in me, in each of us, to make us more free, to free us from the things that we are enslaved to, to make us more like the true human Jesus, so that as a body we might become more like him so that when someone comes in off the street and they walk into Trinity Church they say yes this is a place that smells tastes looks like what I imagine the kingdom of God might look like you and your he's doing a work in us but it's part of the whole so what I wanted to say is that we see I see in you a good work. Trinity Church, Nottingham. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We see in you a good work. You have got it. You get it, Trinity Church, Nottingham. When we started a prayer meeting, um, for the, fir- uh, the first prayer meeting I ever went to to do with Trinity Church, Nottingham was at Johnny and Amy's house in London. And um, I know some of you have heard this story, but we sort of showed up. I rocked up. I came all the way from Bromley, you know, like a 20-minute train drive uh, ride. And this guy, Matt, showed up. And we were like, Matt, where are you from? And he said, I'm from Devon. And we said, oh, great. So you're living in London? No, I live in Devon. And we said, oh, so you, are you up, like, visiting friends? You here to see? No, I live in Devon. I've come up from Devon. So he had got the train that day from Devon to come to a prayer meeting in London. And after that prayer meeting, and he, um, it was an incredibly significant evening for all sorts of reasons. After that prayer meeting, he was like, I am in. He got it. He who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion. The diocese were in, in a big way when we showed up. The bishop was in. He who began a good work will carry it on to completion. Other churches were in. When we did Advent prayers this time last year, almost this time last year, we met in um, upstairs in a cold, dark, damp room every Thursday morning at 7am with just a candle to light us as we prayed. And people came to pray and they prayed with fervour. He who began a good work. I see a good work. I see what God is doing. A church which has been safe enough for people to come and grieve in and lament in and express joy in a good work. Stories of changed lives, incredible acts of generosity. One of our foundational stories is one of our children in our kids' church who gave all of his savings so that we could buy a train set for kids' church. I see a good work and God who is the finisher will take that good work and see it through to completion. He is not done yet. A God who has given Don to us, who has given Louise to us, he has started a good work and he will see it through to completion. 
acts of service, acts of generosity, people who are giving time, energy, money, resources, their family time to us to serve this place and to serve this city. He who began a good work will see it through to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work will see it through. Craig, um, I was talking to Craig this week and um, he was, um, I hope you don't mind me sharing this story, Craig. But um, <clears throat> oh, I wasn't going to say your name, but I accidentally have. Um, and um, Craig and I were just talking about the fact that one of the things we feel God is doing in this place is, um, is bringing tears. Right? And this has been a place that people have come and cried. We, ex- we didn't expect to be crying this much, basically. It's one of the works that God is doing in us, is to open ourselves up. Um, to what he's doing in the world and the city. And as we see it, we have come to see tears. And Craig was saying that actually you can get this condition where you cry too much, that it's like sore. Your eyes are sore and you have to go to the doctors. And I was like, that's going to be an awkward conversation, right? You have to go to the doctors and the doctor's going to be like, what's wrong with your eyes? And we have to say, oh, it's because we've been crying too much. And the doctor would have to say like, why have you been crying too much? And Craig said this wonderful phrase that stuck with me this week. Said, I said to him, you know, what would you say to the doctor? I've been crying too much. And Craig was like, I'd just say to him, you should come see my church. You should come see my church. And it just struck me, that's what God is doing. He who began a good work will see it through to completion. What if we could be that sort of church? Doctor, I can't possibly explain it. You've just got to come and see it for yourself. He who began a good work will see it through to completion. Second thing I want to say is good work. Um, It's good, but it's a work. God is doing a work in us. It's good, but it is a work. Everything we have, everything we have is gift from God. He has lavished his grace upon us, done everything that we needed for salvation. Nothing we do can achieve our salvation. Nothing we can do can get us further on that journey. God is in the process of freeing us of unhooking our hearts and freeing us. Nothing we can do can get us there. It's God's work from start to finish, but it is a work. Can I go to the next slide, Jay? Therefore, my dear friends, Paul says in Philippians 2.12, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. And it feels like a sort of dichotomy, two different things, right? Work out your salvation, you, all of you, you work out your salvation in your life. And secondly, it is God who works out in you. All I want to say is, this is the the mystery of the gospel. This is the welcome of the gospel, which is that God has done everything that needed to be done for our salvation. But as its gift, we receive it. As its gift, we receive it. Work out your salvation. What is it going to look like in your life? What is it going to look like in your context? For some of us, we are so, um, we've had so many things said to us, so many things done to us. We have done so many things that it's very, very difficult for us to imagine that there might ever be a God of grace. It's very difficult for us to imagine that God's grace could make an impact in our life. And so all of that stuff needs to be untied, worked out, struggled through. And it's gift. It's God who does it. But we open ourselves up to what he is doing in us. 
We open ourselves up in some quite concrete ways. We read the Bible, we pray, we take communion, we gather to worship. But what Paul wants us to see, I think, is that every encounter, every, every moment might become a moment of revelation in which we see the God who longs to change us. That if we commit ourselves to this journey of saying yes to Jesus and therefore being freed, every moment might become an opportunity for that. What is God doing? May he give us the eyes to see. So work out your salvation. What is it going to look like in your heart, in your life? And for some of us, this is going to be hard. This is going to be really, really difficult. One of the reasons that God is giving us tears, I believe, is because he wants us to see that just how difficult for some of us this is going to be. It's gift. It's, it's good news. God is, who is started a good work, we'll see it through to completion. But for some of us, because there's so much stuff that's been said to us, done to us, so much stuff we're caught up in, that to unravel ourselves from that is, takes work and is hard. And the reason Paul uses these words that can be quite scary, fear and trembling, it's not because God is unkind or scary or distant or aloof or punishing, but simply because he wants to go deep in us. And sometimes to go deep is scary because if our identity has been shaped in a certain way, if our identity has been shaped by being this type of a person and we've got through life by being this sort of a person and God wants to say, actually, I long for more for you, then to take that thing away, to undo that thing, undo that way of thinking, undo that type of conversation, undo that relationship, untie us from that thing, from that place, that person, is going to be really, really hard. And I would just encourage you to have grace for yourself. That we, our prayer is that this place might be a place where God can do that work in us, in safety. Please do talk to one of us on the leadership team, talk to someone you trust, find people you can trust. It might be that for some of us, we need to go quite far down the road of looking for people who are very, very good at having those kind of conversations. Counselors or mentors, maybe even professional people do that. What is God doing in you? I'm confident of this. I see it in you, that he who began a good work will carry it through to completion. Therefore, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Can I go to the next one? Hold on. Hold on, therefore. It's a hard work. It is a hard work. Hold on. That's my encouragement to you. He who began a good work, Paul says, will see it through to completion. Can I go to the next slide? Maybe the one thing for us, the encouragement from this relationship between Philippians 1 and Genesis is this. Maybe Paul wants us to see that the same power that was at work then in the creation of the world is available to us now. Maybe he wants us to see that the same power that flung stars into space, molded the earth, created the rocky mountains, I don't know what it is for you, the mountain heights and the valleys, the rivers, the seas, maybe that same power that's at work is the power which is open to us today. He who began a good work, the same God who created the world, promises to recreate each of us. Hold on. Seek his power. Seek his power in church. Seek his power in relationship, in reading, in praying. Seek his power to change us until the day of Christ Jesus. One more thing. We'll get to the next slide, then I'm done. Then I'm going to pray. This is a painting. And it's a painting by a guy called Turner. 
William Turner. And um, saw some ships, as you can see. And um, Turner is uh, probably my favorite artist. Now, Turner, um, this, quite a, this is quite a significant painting. It, he exhibited it at the Royal Exhibition, and he was about 60 years old. And at this point in time, Turner was having a feud with a guy called John Constable. And um, Constable was quite a traditionalist sort of painter. Quite, you, you might recognize some of his paintings, the Hay Wayne. They were both exhibiting at the same time, and there was sort of this bit of rivalry between them, more than rivalry, actually. And they were both in the same room. Constable's painting here, Turner's painting here, right? Constable's painting had taken him 15 years, right, to paint this painting. He had worked on it really, really hard, 15 years. Turner's had taken him a couple of months, right? Sort of bash this thing out. It was imaginative, it was creative. And Constable was working on this painting on the final day before it was exhibited, before they opened it up to everybody. And the professionals, the art critics, were in the room looking at these paintings. And they were kind of studying them, and they were enjoying Constable's. But Turner's was going down badly, right? It was going down badly partly because the perspective was all wrong. There was nothing in the foreground. And Constable was sort of kept making jokes of Turner's painting, kept sort of looking across and saying, look, Turner, you heard what they're saying about your painting, right? And so Turner goes into the back room where his paints are, and he gets, he dips his thumb in a big bit of red oil paint, right? And he goes up to his painting, so Constable's painting's here, Turner's painting here, and Turner goes up to his painting, and just in the foreground, in the sea, he just, with his thumb, bright red, right, just smudges, this big smudge of red paint across the sea in this painting, and then he just walks away. It's like a mic drop, right, just walks away. <laughs> And Constable actually said, he was like, Constable sort of just couldn't understand it. And he said, it's like he's coming here and he's fired a gun and then left. And everyone was looking at this painting. And for three days, this red smear just stood on the painting. No one knew what it was, what he was doing. Was it a piece of graffiti? No one knew what was happening, what was going on. And three days later, Turner came back. And as Turner only, only Turner could do, he worked this painting, he's worked this piece of red paint into his painting. And he turned it into this boy in the front of the painting. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. What a beautiful painting. The, the perspective now is all right. And it might seem like, why well, have I told this story? It might seem like in your life, there is this like red smear, this thing in your life that God has started and you're not quite sure why it's there. You're not quite sure what it's doing there. For three days, it was just there. It might feel like God started something in you a long, long time ago, and you're not quite sure what's going on. That dream, that vision, you might not know why God has brought you here to this place. It felt right a couple of months ago, a couple of weeks ago, but you're not quite sure now. There's a red smear in your life. That relationship, that marriage, I was hearing from someone this week who said she had her wedding vows on her fridge hidden behind bills and paperwork and letters from schools. And she said for her, a learning was to go and remove those vows from behind all that paperwork and bring it to the front. It was like God started this thing in me. And over time, in my marriage, I've just forgotten what it looks like. There's a, there was a red smear, and I don't quite know what it's doing there. Why am I married? Why am I here? And for her, she took out the vows, and it was like a step into, yes, he who started a good work will carry it through to completion. You might have something within you that God has put there, and my trust, my confidence is this, that he who began a good work will carry it through to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm